Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. We are in the third week of our series called The Gospels. Now, of course, the first week we talked about evangelism. We talked about the Great Commission. Y'all remember that? The Great Commission, evangelizing people around you in your life. Uh, the second week, of course, last week, which was the day after the You Matter Feast, we just had a lot of people sharing about what God did through them. And we talked about how when we bless others, when we give to others, when we feed, clothe, pray over others, give someone something to drink, we actually do it to Christ himself. We learned that last week, amen? That's part of the gospel. Today, we are going to dive in to the life of Christ. And originally, this series wasn't supposed to be quite long, but I'm going to actually extend it out through December as well, uh, right up to our Christmas Eve, before Christmas Eve begins. By the way, can you believe Thanksgiving is Thursday? Come on. I know some people already left town. Good for them. Enjoy your time with family. Uh, Thanksgiving is Thursday, and in a month we got Christmas. It's just insane how fast that turned around, right? It was seemed like August just hit, and now we're already here. We're already in the holidays. Uh, so I'm praying for everyone's safety and travels, but we do have a lot we're planning for Christmas. Please make plans to join us for that. Bring your whole family for our Christmas Eve service. Um, but this series is going to lead all the way up to right before Christmas. So I want you to uh, stay close, stay focused, and um, just watch and learn what God speaks to us through this. So let's begin. Are you ready? I want you to high-five the person next to you. Get ready. All right. High-five the person on the other side of you. Say, get ready. Some of you got some air fives to do. It's okay. Do it. It's okay. The gospel, the word or phrase the gospel literally means the good news. This is good news. It is good to hear the truth. In fact, most people not too long ago would rather hear the truth over anything. Now, it's a struggle to constantly understand and teach the truth because people don't want to hear the truth. In fact, the, the scripture is very clear that in the last days that people would gather to themselves teachers that would preach to them messages that would tingle their ears, that would make them feel good instead of teaching them the truth. And the reality of the gospel is that it's good news because it's true. Follow me so far. So we're studying the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four Gospels, and they are sometimes called the synoptic Gospels or the Gospels that are in harmony with one another. And the reason they're called this is because they all portray 
most of the events in the life of Christ. If you want to learn more about Jesus and just learn about what he did, what was he about, what he preached, what he taught, go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on your own time and read it again and read it again and read it again because you will learn quickly who Jesus is, what he was about, why he came, why he left, and why he will return. Everything you need to know about Christ in all his fullness is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The synoptic gospels are in sync with one another. So here's what they portray. These are the events in Jesus' life that they portray. His birth, it's a big deal. We obviously celebrate his birth at Christmas time. It's a very, very big deal. His baptism, huge thing. Christ was baptized openly, publicly professing that he was a child of God. And then God spoke from the heavens and declared that this was my only son. This is my begotten son. It was a powerful moment. People heard the audible voice of God. And then another event that is portrayed in all the gospels is the temptation of Christ. Big event, important event. Also, his early ministry, the miracles that he did, the parables that he taught, they're in all the Gospels. Also, what's important in all the Gospels is the betrayal he experienced. Anybody relate to the betrayal? Okay. He experienced serious betrayal. His crucifixion is in all the Gospels, his burial, his resurrection. And also his ascension. When he left the earth, he was in the clouds speaking to his disciples and telling them what they must do next. All of these events are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one of them. We're going to focus on the temptation of Christ. Ooh. Y'all ain't ready for this. The temptation of Christ. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. This is a very famous story, but it is very powerful if you can find the hidden gems in it. And this is the only text we have today. We're going to study this story. We're going to break it down and hopefully apply it to our lives and that it would benefit us. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everybody say hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for clarity. We thank you for clear purpose. We thank you for what it teaches us, how it molds us, and how it shapes us. Lord, I pray that we hear your words this morning, not mine, that we experience you, that we hear your voice, and we experience your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This is a very powerful story. There's a lot there in just 11 verses. There's so much there. And I'm going to do my best to articulate it this morning. Number one, the devil tempted Jesus to distrust his father's care for him. This is interesting. He said, hey, you're hungry. Jesus was very hungry. And he said, why don't you go ahead and uh, make that stone into bread? See, this is subtle. This is so subtle. And if you don't really focus in, you can miss it. But what he's really saying is, you have enough power to take care of what you need. You don't need to trust God that he'll take care of you or send provision. You can do it yourself. So why don't you go ahead and make some food out of this bread? And what he's really saying is you don't need to trust God for this stuff. See, it's so subtle. It's so slight. And if you don't, if you don't really hone in, you might let it go over your head. But this was basically saying you can care and provide for yourself to where God is not needed. Man, if that is not our issue in our nation, I don't know what is. We have a mentality in our country that we don't need God unless we're broken. But if things are going great, if our job is good, if we're making money, everybody's healthy, why do I need to do more and commit more to God? I don't need him. I got it. I got it covered. I'm in control. That is the first temptation of Christ, y'all. The temptation to say, I got this. The temptation to say, I can do this by myself. I don't need to wait on God for the provision. I can go do it all by myself. You see, you have to understand your heavenly father is your provider, not you. Tomorrow you can lose your job. Are you still the provider? No way. You have to trust God at all times. You have to trust God in the good and the bad. You have to trust God when things are perfect, when things are not perfect. You have to trust God when you have everything you need, and you have to trust him when you have nothing that you need. You have to trust him at all times. And so that first temptation is so important because what he's really trying to poke at is do you still trust your father? Look, you're out here in the desert all by yourself. You're hungry. You've got nothing to eat. You're powerless. What's also interesting about this first temptation is he tempted Jesus to do all this with a miracle, which is completely normal thing for Christ, right? 
He was already doing miracles before his time. Remember that whole thing about turning water into wine? That was before all this, before his ministry even started. He was doing miracles. And so the enemy tried to spin it like, hey, you can just do a miracle and provide for yourself. You know, growing up, I always heard, you know, stories and questions like, I wonder if Jesus ever like just needed something and then he just made it appear, you know, because he was the son of God. No. He would not breach the order of things. Why not? Because the miracles weren't supposed to be for himself. Here's what miracles are for. Miracles are meant to build faith. They're not meant to show off. Miracles are meant to build faith and restore people. Yet the enemy wanted Jesus to perform a miracle that would only benefit himself. He was, in, a, in essence, he was taunting him. Like, hey, you, you have the ability to do miracles. Why don't you just do a miracle? It's who you are. Again, so subtle, so slight. The next temptation, the devil tempted Jesus with the kingdoms of this world. <laughs> the kingdoms of this world were supposed to come after he was buried and resurrected, and they would come from his father only. Yet here's the devil offering him all the kingdoms of this world. Here's the shortcut. You can have everything that you came to get. All you have to do is come and worship me. He also told him that he had all the authority to give away these kingdoms, which was completely false. In fact, we read it in the first week of our series, how all authority had been given to Christ. We read it over and over, and then we sang the song about authority. Anybody remember that? All authority had been given over to Christ already. So, number one, the enemy's a liar. Number two, he's trying to tempt him with something that he will already receive one day. He has promised to receive one day when he fulfills his mission. Yet here the enemy is trying to give him false hope. Here's another very interesting thing. If you can throw the scripture up again. In verse, well, it doesn't give me my verses. Uh, it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Who's talking right there? He says, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. Who's talking? That's the enemy talking. And then the enemy says, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Then Jesus said again, it is written. See, this is so interesting because the enemy actually used the word of God against Jesus. He is actually trying to deceive Jesus with his own word. Are you following me yet? Do you see how subtle this whole story is? It, it, it might seem like you get it until you start reading between the lines and you realize, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean to tell me the enemy actually used a scripture to try and convince Jesus to do something wrong? That's religion. 
That is the very definition of the religious spirit. Let me show you how it's done. Look what the Bible says about it. But the whole time, it's to coerce you to do something that is against the word of God. He's actually referring to an actual scripture about Jesus himself. He's like, look, this is written about you. Why don't you just go ahead and do this? This is already written about you. He said, no, 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 it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see, you got to be really careful. Because some people will actually use scripture to defend their foolishness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some people will actually use scripture to try and convince you to do something that is opposite of the word of God. Because if it's premature, if it's not time, it's the wrong thing. I used to say something all the time. When I was a youth pastor, because I'd always get these questions from these from these teenagers. Is it, is it okay for me to date? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got teenagers in here? Is it okay for me to date? Is it time to date? Hey, listen, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. You following me yet? And that's the situation here. The enemy, man, you want me to say it three times, brother? Let me help you out. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. The enemy was trying to use scripture to have Jesus prematurely do something that it was not time to do yet. Even though it was a prophecy about him, it was not time yet. Therefore, it is illegitimate, and he was using the scripture to try and coerce and deceive Jesus. You got to be careful. You got to be watchful. Temptation is never as great as when one has made a public declaration of faith, like Jesus did when he went to go get baptized. You have to understand, when you publicly begin to say, I follow Christ, that is when temptation comes the strongest. When you try to stand up and declare that you belong to God, that's when temptation comes the hardest. It happened to Jesus and it happens to us. If you feel like you've been under intense temptation, it's probably because you've been trying your hardest to put God first in your life. And the more that you try to put God first in your life, the more you will get tempted. I wish I came with a message that said, hey, guess what? Once you get saved, there's no more temptation. <laughs> the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Temptation comes because you have publicly said you belong to Jesus. We just sang it. We just sang it. I belong to Jesus. Praise God. We walk out the door. Why am I going through this temptation? Because you just sang I belong to Jesus. And now the enemy's like, oh, really? Let me see if I can trip that up. You also have to understand that during 
this time of temptation, Jesus was also being ministered to by angels. This is actually kind of mysterious, isn't it? You mean to tell me he received ministry from angels? Absolutely. The all-powerful one, the omnipotent one, actually lowered himself, humbled himself to receive help from lesser beings than he. Meaning there was no pride in him. His physical attributes, his human attributes at that time were taking over. He was very weak. He was very hungry. So he welcomed the angels to come and minister to him. This is a beautiful description of every ministry that can benefit from knowing that, hey, it's okay to say, I need help. Because Christ did that too. He wasn't alone. He knew he wasn't alone. And he said, I need ministry. During the times of testing and trial, we are also to be ministered to. Don't feel like when you're going through something, you have to do it alone. Don't feel like when you're struggling, you have to struggle alone. You have help. You have safety. You have numbers around you if you'll reach out. When temptation rises up, you have to respond a certain way, and we're going to get to that in a second. How do we recognize the temptations? How do we recognize the battle? We can only recognize it and fight it by saturating our hearts and our minds with the truth. Here's what happens. Sometimes people are in a battle and they don't even know when it started, how it started. And then you start sharing the truth of the scripture with them and they go, oh. You see, your best defense is the word of God. Your best defense is always the truth. If you're going through a season of temptation, you have to fight it with the truth. You have to fight it with the word of God. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the whole armor of God, right? We, we see the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. All of these things that are on this individual, this armor in Ephesians 6, they're all defensive except for one, the sword. The sword is the only weapon that is given for attack, for offense, to take on the enemy. Everything else is defense. The sword is offense. And the sword, the Bible calls, is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You cannot fight unless you know the Word. You cannot fight back unless you know the truth. 
You're going to sit there and cower with your shield all day long. But until you rise up and fight back with the truth, you will be dealing with temptation after temptation after temptation. You've got to learn how to fight back. You've got to learn to pick up your word and begin to speak it out loud. I don't care if you look like a crazy person. I already do look like a crazy person. I mean, you should have seen me getting out of my office this morning. I was like this. Y'all ready? Y'all ain't ready. This is how I get ready for church. This is how I get ready to preach. Y'all ain't ready. I'm over here like, Adrian! See, y'all think you crazy. You don't even know how crazy I am. My wife does. She tells me all the time, you crazy. But if you don't get a little crazy with it, you have no way of attacking back. You're going to sit there and cower the whole time as if somehow it's just going to stop. It's not going to stop until you fight back. The enemy doesn't quit when he sees someone who's cowering. He cannot defend himself against the word of God. He has no defense for the word of God. Do you see anything in the scripture about the armor of the devil? No, there's only the armor of those that live by the spirit. You have the armor. He doesn't. As soon as you start to speak back the truth, he's got a, a, a three strikes you're out policy. We just saw it. One, tempted Jesus. Jesus responded with the word. Boom. Two, tempted Jesus. And then he tried to trip up Jesus with the word, and then Jesus responded with the truth of that word. Boom, strike two. Three, tempted Jesus. Jesus responded with the word again. Boom, the devil leaves. I'm telling you, you have to fight back. Don't just sit there and take it. If there's one thing in your control, it's your ability to speak the word of God over your life. You may not have control over a lot of things, but you do have control about how much you speak this. Knowing the Bible intimately will put the sword in your hands. Knowing the Bible intimately will enable you to become victorious over temptation. You struggle because you confess all the wrong stuff. But when that temptation comes, if you learn to speak the word of God in truth, the enemy has to flee. Listen, you cannot fight temptation with your mind. I know there's a lot of... Uh, uh, well-meaning people out there that are like, if you can just think it, you'll receive it. You know, there's all this stuff out there about manifesting your reality. Your reality is up to you. If you'll just think it, you'll receive it. No, no, no. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. That's all you got to do. Because you cannot fight temptation with your mind. 
That's where the devil wins. It's really quiet in this church this morning. Maybe hopefully this is sinking in. You cannot fight the enemy with your mind by thinking better thoughts. That is not going to help you win. You cannot fight temptation with your gifts either. See, this is another common misconception. Oh, whatever you're gifted at, just do that and all the temptation will go away. You know, use your gifts to serve God. No, 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 no. You should already be doing that. That's a given. You don't fight temptation with your gifts. That's what the enemy tempted Jesus with. Oh, you're gifted to do miracles. Just turn the stone into bread. You cannot fight the enemy with what he's tempting you to do. He actually tempted Jesus to use his gifts. He tempted Jesus to do miracles, and he challenged Jesus with the word of God. Are you following me yet? The enemy will actually use against you what comes natural, and he will use against you what is actually in the Bible. The enemy is very smart, but at the same time, he's very powerless. If you learn how to fight back, you cannot fight the enemy with your mind. You cannot fight the enemy with your gifts. You can only fight the enemy with the word of God. I really hope that sinks in this morning. I really, really do. Because I see a lot of stuff online. They're all say, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. There's only one way to fight back. And it's to do what Jesus did. To speak the truth. To speak the truth of God's word. You have to know it. You have to absorb it. You have to swallow it. You have to eat it. It is your daily bread. It is your food. It's not just something we say. It's not just, oh, I read the Bible in a year. How great. No, no, no. It is your source of attack. This is how you fight back. You have to learn to consume the word of God so that when the enemy shows up, you have the power in your mouth to release the word of truth. Worship team, y'all come back up. I want to share just a little bit more with you. Jesus was tempted in three very important areas of life. Hopefully you caught it earlier. Jesus was tempted with our need for food. I don't know about you, but that's a really big temptation. Sometimes I just give in to that. I can't speak against the taco. It just comes and takes over. I don't know. I, I think I'm having tacos for lunch. Hello. Hallelujah. Our need for food. Jesus takes authority in that moment and says, no, 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 no. I know I'm hungry, but I'm not giving in to that. He was on a fast, and he wasn't going to break his fast till the temptation was over. I'm going to tell you something. In February, we're going to go on a fast again. Remember last year we did a fast? Uh, some of y'all was the first time y'all ever fasted before. Um, long ago when I was much slimmer, I'd fast all the time. And then, you know, you get married and you eat well. And you forget about things like fasting. 
But we're going to go back on a fast as a church in February for 21 days. We're going to pray and fast. Because there's something that happens to us spiritually when we allow ourselves to abstain from something as simple as food. It is a basic need. And when we say no to a basic need so we can grow spiritually, God does great things. Amen. So Jesus was tempted with our need for food. He was also tempted with our need for identity. Did you catch? Did you catch what, what, he, what the enemy asked him every time? What did he say, Rick? He said, if you are the son of God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Bible nerd, come on. Where else did we hear that? Okay. Anybody, where else did we hear that? In the beginning. In the garden. The enemy comes to Eve and says, did God say? If you will eat this fruit you can be more like God. (laughs) Sounds harmless, right? Subtle. You know why it's subtle? Because Eve was already like God. And so he plants this idea that somehow she is not all that she's supposed to be. Oh, oh, just eat this fruit. Did God say you'll die? I don't know that he said you really died. Did God say you'll die? But if you eat this fruit, you can be more like God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and make you some food? You see, you think it's simple. It's just food. No, 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 no. It's about saying yes to the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's about agreeing with a lie. It's about agreeing with something that it's not time for yet. Eve believed for a moment that if she would eat that fruit, she would become more like God. She believed for a moment that she was not 100% fully, fearfully made and wonderfully made that she thought she was. And forever now, that is the woman's plight. Always trying to measure up because somehow you think that you're not quite who you're supposed to be. It's a lie from the enemy. God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. You don't have to impress anyone. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You are already made in the image of God. You are already made perfect and beautiful. And the enemy planted that subtle lie in the beginning. And Eve bought it and she took it. He tries again with Jesus. If you are the son of God. (laughs) It's so subtle. So subtle that that question, right? Have you ever experienced that before? When someone will ask you a question like, hey, what about this? Are you going to do this? And it's like you've already been doing that, but they never noticed what they're really saying subtly is you're not quite measuring up. See, 
when people are direct with me, I appreciate it all the more because there's truth there, right? If I tell you straight up, hey, this is what's going on, you can appreciate that because the truth is there, transparency is there. But when someone is indirect and subtle and coming from different angles, that is a deception tactic from the enemy himself. If you are the son of God, did God say? You see, they question the very thing you're standing on. And those questions try and attempt to create doubt. And so what the enemy was doing to Jesus was trying to figure out, is there any doubt in him? Now that he's half man, half God, maybe he has a half doubt somewhere. So let me go and try to find the doubt. Did you know, are you the son of God? If you are the son of God, then you can do this. If you are the son of God, then why don't you have the angels come and help you? If you are the son of God, I can give you all this stuff. If you are, if you are, all these questions, all these doubts are thrown subtly at you. And if you don't learn to respond with clear truth, and you can bite the wrong fruit like Eve. Jesus was tempted with the basic need for food. He was tempted with the need for identity that we all crave. We all crave to figure out who we are, why we're here, what our purpose is. Hey, listen, you're a child of God. It's not that hard. Serve him. He'll show you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. But if you think that the world is somehow supposed to affirm you, to prove who you are, then you're putting your trust in the wrong thing. See, our need for identity should only come from our Heavenly Father, not what this world has to offer. Christ understood that his identity was not held in what the world said or what the enemy said. His identity was held in what God himself said, his Father, and that's all he cared about. He was tempted with his need for food. He was tempted with his need for identity. And lastly, he was tempted with the need to worship. <laughs> so subtle. If you will just bow at my feet, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, it's just so simple. Just bow. What harm could there be, right? What, 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 what's the issue? You're just, you're just bowing. It's not a big deal. Just, you know, get on your knees, just bow to me. And I'll give you all this. See all this stuff? And see this subtle tactic, it pokes at our need to worship. We were created to worship. And the enemy knows that because he was created to worship. And he wanted to worship himself. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. And now forever he is trying to teach people every day to worship themselves. Has it sunk in yet? 
Has this situation sunk in yet? This isn't just a simple, let me tempt them so they can do something wrong and feel bad about themselves. No, no, no. This is the tactical plan of the enemy since the beginning to get you to question your humanity, question your spirituality, and question who you worship. And he did it to Jesus. Don't think for a second he won't try it with you. Here's what we have to learn. We have to learn to worship God for all that he is, not for what he can do for us. If you come to God to worship him because you think by doing so, he's going to do more for you, you're worshiping him for the wrong reason. You worship God because he's worthy. Because of all that he is. He is beautiful. He is glorious. Man, for those of you who were in the city groups and we talked about Ezekiel chapter 1 and how his throne was sitting on these tornadoes and the eyeballs all over the angels. Like, God is amazing. He's beautiful. He's terrifying. He's awesome. And he's worthy to be worshipped whether it's about you or not. Whether you get something out of it or not, he is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. See, there's the Holy Trinity, right? We worship God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. But you know, there's also an unholy Trinity. And this is sometimes what we enjoy to worship instead. The unholy Trinity. I, myself, and me. Sometimes that's what we prefer. I, myself, and me. That's the unholy trinity. And this whole time we have access to the king of kings. We have access to the holy one. We have access to everything we see in scripture. Man, if you could just search the scriptures and you'd see all the descriptions of Jesus. You see all the descriptions of God's throne. You see all the descriptions of what surrounds him. Lightning surrounds him. His upper half glows. His lower half is on fire. In his hand, he holds seven stars. He's amazing. But if we only worship him to see what we can get out of it, then all we're doing is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Let's stand. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would desire to know your word more intimately. That we would desire to push past our own flesh, ourself. And we would desire to see you in all your
you're here this morning and you have been struggling with temptation, I want you to be bold and just take that step because this morning I believe that you're going to get a fresh dose of his love and his presence. And when you do, you have to turn around to the enemy and start speaking his word. That's you this morning. Come on down as we begin to sing, as we begin to worship, as we begin to give God our best. If you want to feel that freedom, come down here and God will do it in your life. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.